We're back, Empires of the Future, and today, uh, Denton is drinking some hot, hot tea. How hot is that tea, Denton? Well, it's so hot, I can't really drink it, and that's always unfortunate. Uh, this, You know, there's this new technology, I, I guess it's not really new anymore, uh-huh. of vacuum-sealed, like, stainless steel cups, yes. right? Now uh, Some not, people call those big, dumb cups. Big, dumb cups. <laughs> that's my big, dumb cup. It's not that big. And it's not uh, not the Stanley brand. Uh, it has a rule king. Established 1960, America's Farm and Home Store. Okay. Stamped into the side. It's a cup that my mom has kind of given to me. I say she's given it to me. She let me take it home once, and she hasn't gotten it back. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things. I, I kind of I got a little introspective earlier when I was thinking about this is not a new technology, like the ability to keep hot drinks hot. Yes. And yet it still surprises me every time it works well. Well, and where I mean, this is one of the first things I said to you. I'm like, man, this cup, I made this at... 11.45, and it, I still can't drink it. It's like Right, one, that was an hour and a half ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so anyway, I'm well, easily impressed. This, this makes me think, um, one of the amazing things about Americans, and one of the really frustrating things about us is, you know, we're living through uh, a time where LED lights are just going everywhere. And mm-hmm. I know that's better in terms of efficiency, but I really don't think anybody is thinking to ask, are we sure lights need to keep getting brighter? <laughs> Because really what we do is we're like, brighter lights, put them everywhere. Put them in headlights. Put them above people's heads in church. Put them everywhere you go. What you want is you want to walk in and drive and just kind of have to squint your eyes because, <laughs> no, we don't think that through. And it's this, I, this is what it reminds me of. It's the same thing. It's like, how hot do drinks need to be and how hot do they need to stay? And we just basically go, how hot can we keep them? <laughs> There's no limit. <laughs> There's no limit. If, I mean, if you can make it to where it, like can be over 212 degrees and not boiling. Let's do it. Right. You know, but uh, that's a good point. I don't know if I'd agree with the LED point. I, I think the brighter, the better. Uh, well, I have yet to, have I, had... ha- I have yet to install a light and turn uh-huh. it on and go, Oh, that's too bright. Yeah. I've well, come close. Let me, a few let me times. tell you something, young man. <laughs> In the last 10 years, my eyes have gone from just a normal man's eyes to uh, watering every 10 seconds or so to very light sensitive. I've been through a lot of years now of trying to figure out what in the world was wrong with my eyes. Um, and so thankfully it is not that I ruined them by keeping my contacts in too long and overuse <laughs> of contacts. Uh, but goodness gracious. So yes, my eyes are pretty light sensitive. Well, there you go. Well then maybe one day when I'm old like you, <laughs> I will, I will understand the problem of LEDs. I can't wait. <laughs> but until then, I'm maybe... setting my watch 10 years from now, put a reminder. Yeah, that's that, right. To Denton. And how you doing? <laughs> how you doing with that LED thing? Until then, the brighter, the better, the hotter, the better. <laughs> let's, let's go. This is America after all. There you go. Uh, we're doing uh, something a little different today um, from a standpoint of it's not like we haven't talked about ministry before, but what we do, I got asked yesterday as I'm in, my, in a follow-up appointment after uh, my eye surgery, uh, what I did for a living, and I said, Minister of Music, and the surgeon said, what does that mean? <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's not really clear, is it? That I do pastoral ministry. It's a lot of administration, really. Well, anyway... <laughs> He's like, oh, so you're an administrative assistant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we are talking about ministry today and yeah. um, a, an article by Dr. Herschel York, who is the dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where you are currently enrolled, where I uh, graduated from now uh, about 13 years ago. Um, but you are, are you in the School of Theology? Or are you in the Graham School? I'm in the Billy Graham School. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, 
I don't know how I got in the Billy Graham school, actually. <laughs> I don't remember specifically choosing that. I just looked at my degree program one side. It said one time and it said the Billy Graham school. Yeah. So, but I mean, Graham when I found school. out when I found out that was the team I was on, I was like, it's the best school. There you go. Billy Graham the Billy School, school the of Applied Ministry is what it was called when I was there. I'm not quite sure if the name uh, has changed at all. Uh, and who is your dean? Chuck Wallace was the dean when I was there. Mm. Mm. You don't know. No, I don't know. Oh, man, I Isn't love that it terrible? When I put you on the spot. Um, <laughs> Isn't that terrible? So I'm not on campus, though. You know, I'm you an online. Been on campus. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like the dean greets you when you get to campus. It's true. <laughs> it's true. But I mean, uh, the dean. I'm gonna. Show, I get to show off now. All right. So the dean of my school when I was there in the school of theology uh, was Russell Moore, um, who I did talk to because I had him for all three systematic theologies. Um, and Herschel York, uh, I'd never had him for a class. I assume mm-hmm. you haven't either. No. Um, he's no, he's well known there and throughout, um, say, Kentucky and, and to some degree the Southern Baptist Convention is one of the best preachers, I'll just say, yeah. in the SBC. Yeah. I mean, he's a very gifted preacher, uh, good man, um, Served has served the Lord uh, faithfully now for... Um, 43 years, I believe he was a, a pastor and just retired um, two weeks ago yeah. as the pastor of Buck Run Baptist Church. Uh, interestingly enough, I also know Chris Parrish, who is now the pastor of Buck Run Baptist Church, because he came here to Evansville something like five or six years ago. Matt Higgins brought him in for a um, for a joint uh, association youth event between uh, all the churches here. Nice. And so I was there. Matt Higgins was there. Jason Paul was there, another friend of ours. And uh, so Chris Paris came in, another great guy, a uh, young man probably about your age uh, who is now taking over that uh, as pastor of that church. And uh, so exciting for them. Uh, Dr. York is going to continue as uh, the dean of the School of Theology for you know the foreseeable future, um, just shifting out uh, of pastoral ministry. He has officially retired from that. Um, and so it's uh, there's a couple of good reasons to bring up this article, which came to me, since I'm an alumnus, uh, came to me in the mail in the form of Southern Seminary Magazine. And then I texted you and you said, I don't get that magazine. They don't send it to me. And I said, well, you're not, you know. <laughs> Yet, yeah, I'm not an alum yet, and a graduate to with, and they do like every school does. That when you yeah. graduate, they will send you uh, some uh, papers, journals, yeah. and then plenty of. Hey, hope you're doing well. If you'd like to give money back yeah. to your wonderful institution. This is where you give it. Right. Um, and so I'm sure that this is all tied in together that way. But the article is titled Five Ministry Challenge I Didn't Anticipate. And for someone who's been in pastoral ministry as long as Dr. York, I was immediately interested. And so today will be a little bit sort of inside baseball to ministers. But at the same time, I wanted to say that if you're a church member, uh, pray about these things, uh, consider them. And talk to the leadership of your church about these issues. You will recognize that's not for some of these. It's impossible that you haven't talked, if you're a church member, to some of the leadership of your church about these things. Um, but if you are a minister, pray and move to address these issues um, and to protect and educate your church concerning these new challenges. Because all five of these are no joke. Uh, when we bring these out, I think everyone will go, "Oh yes, that uh, that is something that I didn't see coming. That is challenging." Um, and what he offers here is encouragement mostly. There's not five-point plans for each of these on what to do exactly, but I think it is very helpful from a pastoral perspective to say, one, this is a real challenge, and two, you can't act like that it isn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, We all who are in ministry have had to make moves already on these things, but what we really need is um, well-thought-out plans uh, that are actionable um, and that 
that are ready because these cultural challenges are going to continue. Right. Yeah. I, I found the article to be really helpful in a lot of those ways as a pastor. It, it probably is different reading it for me than it is for a lay person, for a church member, because I read them and I, I'm like, Oh yeah. I mean, as he's saying this, I'm thinking, yeah, that is a something that I've also been dealing with. And I mean, for me, it's a little different than for Dr. York, having only been in ministry for a handful of years now. Um, it's a different thing for me because some of these things that he mentions, I mean, that's kind of just been the ministry waters I've been in. They have included this. It's not consumed by it, but they have at least included some of these aspects. And so it's not really a surprise to me. But it, I think this article is helpful, and I would encourage you to read it if you're a church member. Um, for the same reason Jackson said, uh, it, this does give you an idea of sort of what pastors, what church leaders are, are dealing with and kind of decisions that have to be made and, and things like that. And as much as, as much as you and I would both agree that we love church ministry, it does have its challenges and uh, even some that we wouldn't necessarily anticipate, some that are pretty new. A lot of these are pretty new. And so um, while I read it and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. I, I resonate with that. Um, you might read it or maybe hear us talking about it. And uh, my hope is that maybe you're the same way. You're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But but also, um, I think it will hopefully be an encouragement to us to be gracious to one another, yeah. to our to our fellow pastors, to our fellow church members, and certainly to our pastors as they as they lead, as they uh, pastor us and, and shepherd us. It's not always an easy task, and they need our grace. They need our compassion. They need us to be um, to be quick to be understanding. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll speak a little bit more um, in specifics of each of these, but um, there is a temptation to sort of oversimplify some of these issues. And especially based upon, uh, we have temptation to oversimplify an issue based upon our own personal situation um, individually. And then especially we have a tendency to oversimplify based upon, well, my family could just do this. Well, your pastor has to consider all of the families who are a part of the church, as well as how to integrate folks who will come along and join the church. So it can't be as simple as, well, this just works for my, me and my family. This just works for me. Why can't everybody just be in the same situation as me? Why can't everybody just look at it the way I do? Well, it, they can't. It's just not that simple. But um, let's just, uh, I thought this first paragraph is great. Uh, before we jump into the first issue, Dr. York says, uh, quote, life and ministry have changed rapidly and radically over the past 40 years. Reared in a pastor's home, I was not, on the one hand, totally unprepared for the complexities and complications that awaited me when I accepted my first full-time ministry assignment at only 20 years old. On the other hand, no one was prepared for the sweeping changes that the next four decades would produce. Five things in particular caught me completely unprepared and added challenges to life and ministry that I never saw coming, but nonetheless to which I had to respond. Uh, in quote. And, and to that, I thought that was really interesting because I started ministry when I was 20. And so that's 23 years ago now and um, did not grow up in a pastor's home. <laughs> and so uh, in some ways, I very much resonate with him. In some ways, I don't at all as far as that goes. Um, but then this opening, it, it was encouraging in a way um, and also really sad in a way for the current situation because he, he he says number one security and abuse issues and he opens just talking about how when he was a kid he did grow up 
with a father who was a pastor, but also around a lot of other men in the church who took him hunting and fishing and uh, sat and talked to him on the front porch of, of his house, taught him to work hard, um, identify plants and trees in the woods, drive tractors and these things. And uh, I can identify uh, with the fact that I had men in my life who did pour into me and that I was not abused, as he says, and thank God for that. But unfortunately, we know now many more statistics about uh, how abuse does happen, how, frankly, young ladies are more vulnerable than young boys. Uh, girls are, are more vulnerable than young boys when they are children. And uh, we know that it is most often someone that the family is familiar with. It's uh, this, this strange... Um, again, I can speak very clearly about growing up in the 80s where the, the term stranger danger was the... Mm-hmm. the catchphrase about this kind of stuff that unfortunately that's just not the case right generally um so we were looking under the wrong bushes i mean we we were we were not aware of how this typically does take place um so it, he starts out saying that and and i i am thankful that he wasn't concerned about it but it, it led to the same conclusion that, that if it hasn't happened to you then you assume that the norm is that this won't happen yeah and as a, this just these aren't the kind of things you want to have to think about. They're just not. Uh, but they're the things that, because of the reality of the world that we live in, because we do live in a in a world that is corrupted by sin. And you know, I was just listening to um, it was a, a previous episode of the briefing by Dr. Moeller, and he was talking about the impact of social media. Uh, there was that recent hearing up on Capitol Hill about, uh, and they had all the social media sort of. Um, company owners or presidents, whatever, come in and talk about uh, the issues that, that frankly, our youth are facing because of social media. And, uh, you know, we've talked about that a little bit. But um, one of the things that Dr. Mueller w- sort of touched on was he, he kind of said that uh, that sin isn't—people aren't more sinful now than they were 100 years ago. Right. Uh, people are just as sinful today as they always were, and they were always just as sinful as they are today. But it is the truth, and it is a reality that there are certain things that are giving sort of sin more reign in a certain sense uh, that are extending the yes. uh, sort of the uh, the reach, extending the or, or increasing the uh, the saturation of certain certain sin and certain sins that you know there used to be at least some wall of division, some things that uh, that were I, I think by God's grace serve to restrain certain effects of, of sin, that we're seeing those things overcome now. And I, I say all of that to say, I think when it's impossible to chalk all this up to one issue, but I think the rise of, of things like pornography um, and other things online, but that being primary, um, sexual deviance has been given a sort of outlet. It's been given a... a, a soil in which to grow and to expand and to and to consume and i think that's why we see more of a of a consumption of it and not even just that even violence uh we're not just talking about one kind of abuse but multiple kinds uh violence and and anger issues things like that all of those are i think by uh by certain things online social media all these various things all of them are given a, a stronger foothold in our society yeah and it's something that we can lament and should lament, uh, but at the same time, we have to reckon with them and we have to deal with those things. And so as, a, as church leaders, 
it's our responsibility to consider the safety of our church members and, and of our families and of their children and, and all of the above. So that uh, we have to think about, okay, who is working in the children's ministry? Okay, yeah, maybe I've known this person or this person is well-known by these people. It doesn't matter. Everyone has to have their background checked. Uh, we have to put in parameters, uh, such as a, a common one is, is not to have um, a child alone with an adult, right. just period. There yep. always needs to be uh, multiple adults in the room. Um, and, you know, you go down the list of, of these things that it's like, yeah, these probably weren't common standards um, 50, 80, 100 years ago, but the reality is they have to be now. Right, right. And, and these issues, um, I want to say that the policies that we have developed, uh, they are necessary and all of this can be faced. We, it is still fundamentally necessary for people to meet together, for people to share community. We are going, I, I feel very confident that uh, we are at the end point of individualism. And this, we are going to be looked back on in history as a people who were given so much power individualistically. And then we leaned into it, whether you're talking about how much time we spend on our personal selection of YouTube videos uh, or, or what is technologies that are literally cutting edge right now, such as uh, augmented reality glasses that will further push us into our own worlds, which we've talked about so often as far as what social media does. Um, and then we, we, we hear these things like, oh, you can end up in an echo chamber full of people who agree with you. Well, it is. It has none of the advantages of community to be in an echo chamber where you're reading what other people agree with you about. That's not community. And a lot of the words we use today, a lot of the phrases we do about how you're part of this community or part of that community. Look, if you are not physically seeing, touching, hugging these people, if you, you're not in the presence of people, this community is not happening. And we use words and then in, in, in such a way that it, we confuse ourselves about it. Uh, and meanwhile, what real community is, is still what it was. Uh, and it's fundamentally necessary. It's just that this, this first issue here, security and abuse issues, we have to have safeguards. Yeah. And we used to not have to. Um, one thing he says here, the, the section of this that I just found really helpful, he says, quote, consequently, uh, because of how things have changed, this ministry today means thinking about physical safety issues and the price paid when that does not happen. Not only are churches now endeavoring to help those hurt in the past, but they also must do everything possible to prevent any crimes or even potential for such deeds in the future. I did not foresee, he says, a need to run background checks on all church employees, leaders, and volunteer workers, but we do. Nor did I realize how much the physical security of of church members and employees would factor into the design and expense of a new building, end quote. Mm -hmm. Yep. That last one, it, Oh, it sorry, is, but it did. He said, yeah, end quote. But, but it did, yeah. Um, and that last one especially, I think about that. Um, I don't know. The, the design of a building, that if you are designing a church building, um, I, I think it's pretty common, pretty safe to say that most of the times now they design them with very limited uh, entry and exit points. Uh, it's designed in such a way that uh, there is a sort of safeguard at the at the front, the entry points, uh, and the other uh, whatever other ways someone might get in are securely locked. Right. It's designed in a way specifically to intentionally be easily easy to secure. Yep. And I, I'm not I'm not lamenting that. I'm saying that's a good thing. Yep. We want that. That's a good thing. Um, but it's not something that always had to be thought about. But now it does. 
It does. And um, I have heard plenty of stories about um, the need uh, for security. And so this one, I, I think, is a good one to start with because this one has sort of slowly ramped up over the years to where I think we've been able to have a little more development on this issue. You know, mm-hmm. I remember in the first place I served outside of my home church that um, – pastor I was serving under, uh, Jerry Ford, who was the pastor of Third Baptist Church, Marion, Illinois, just passed away a year ago. I uh, thank God for him who poured into me in ministry, and I was able to see him in the hospital just last year before he passed. Mm. Um, but when he was at Dorsville Baptist Church in my hometown of Harrisburg, Illinois, um, someone threatened his life, and that he, in the pulpit, was carrying a pistol uh, that mm. Sunday. Pretty unique situation to be in. But I remember hearing that story and going, well, that's just not something that I thought I would hear. Uh, going into ministry. Um, But we all do have to think about security, Mm -hmm. about entrances and exits from the building. And what's so difficult, I think, in some situations is that um, if you have a building that's, well, let's just say over 20 years old, um, almost certain, almost certainly it was not designed with kind of security as a high value uh, element. Uh, That was not as much of a thought. Um, But there have been shootings in churches in the last, you know, couple years. And um, so it's on everybody's mind uh, from that standpoint so that you have all of the sexual abuse side of this first one, but then all of the violence uh, concerns as well. Um, And so we have someone who is on security every Sunday at at the church. Um, It's needed. Yep, that's exactly right. All right, uh, we're moving through some hot button issues today, and that's fine. Number two, the collapse of coherence on sexuality and gender. Uh, he says about this quote: "I remember when the public relations agenda of the gay lobby could be summed up in the word tolerance. They claimed that all they wanted was to be allowed to live their lives as they saw fit. And no one asks for tolerance anymore. The demand now has moved beyond acquiescence or acceptance to full agreement and celebration." End quote. This is another one of those where, for me, being in my first ten years of ministry. Um, as I came into ministry, I was already sort of of the of the understanding that that this is where we were at, or at least we were already much closer to where we are today. Certainly, it's only progressed. Um, but even in like my internships, whenever I was interning at a couple churches, including at First Southern, I was already sort of being encouraged to and, and felt the need to read books on the issue mm-hmm. uh, issues of homosexuality and transgenderism, these kinds of things. And so I, it it gives me, I don't know, a little bit of gratitude to guys like um, Dr. York who have kind of been the ones to have to deal with this as it's pressing in, as it's developing, and having to develop ministry tactics and skills and, and answers along with it. Uh, that's a tough place to be, to be sort of on the cutting edge of of certain theological issues, cultural issues. I think there are some that we are going to be on the cutting edge of and, and are, but um, this is a big one. Right. That is a, is a lot to have to deal with, a lot to have to, to handle. Um, and so I have a unique perspective from him in that it is still sort of less, I, I don't know. I guess mostly what I would say is I'm grateful for guys like that have had to do like what Dr. York has done and, and, develop along with these things yeah well yeah i mean and um he mentions in here um 
So the gay lobby, he says, quote, the gay lobby became LGBTQIA+, and the plus means so many things that it's impossible to keep up. Two-spirit, non-binary, pansexual, demisexual, aromantic, gender fluid, and asexual. Who saw that coming? And, and what is strange about the time that we live is um, if you are living in the midst of, say, you're for this in general, well, the plus, still even to you, means about whatever you might want it to mean, which makes relationships unpredictable to impossible. And and I will be so bold as to say that. Yeah. If you are just at a foundational level in terms of, oh, who knows what I what my sexual orientation is and who I might be interested in, well that let's just conservatively I can say that just makes you very unpredictable yeah. in terms of relationship. And that's a that's a fundamental problem that is going on yeah. in in anyone who has decided that one of these descriptors that I just used describes them. Um, and then the further thing that is so concerning is that, as we're going to see, a lot of these are intermingled. A lot of these new challenges and issues are intermingled. So that what what a lot of folks are describing in terms of my quote sexual orientation is what kind of porn they prefer. Mm not what kind of relationships they have experience in. I really believe that, and that, mm. that accounts for a whole lot of what's going on in this regard. Um, but meanwhile, then, pastorally, what do we say? We say God still loves you, but there are elements here. You're going to have to repent of this. Mm-hmm. And there is life for you, but it's going to involve leaving some of this behind. Um, and that's challenging. But as the scripture says, such were some of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you were saved. You were sanctified. You were made holy. That that we are called then to live a new life. Um, and this this thing, this issue, he talks about the collapse of coherence on sexuality and gender. We're, we're living in this moment through uh, what I think is a completely untenable situation of, say, someone who is a biological male trying to compete in women's sports, mm-hmm. which is, which is the end of women's sports period. Yeah. But, but that is the, that is just day by day what's going on. And so there are obviously people who are rising up against that. Um, but that's how far down this path we are living right now. Mm-hmm. And it is incoherent, untenable. It will not hold. Yeah. It can't. Um, and, we're living through that right now. It's very unpredictable, very challenging. Yeah. And what's, what's also so, I don't know, difficult and, and wild and, um, and another challenge to deal with is that it's not just that you have um, the secular culture saying all these things are good, all these things are okay, but then you look left and right and you see various churches, denominations, Christian groups sure. um, conceding, bowing yeah, the knee right, to these things. Right. Uh, refusing to stand on biblical truth as revealed throughout the scriptures and Romans and Ephesians and uh, multiple places in the Old Testament, that these things are wrong, that they're sinful, um, rather than than standing firm, difficult as it might be on the Word of God, you see left and right Christian leaders, churches, denominations conceding, right. putting up the, the white flag, as he says, and uh, shortly often it's replaced by the rainbow flag. Right. Um, and that's that's a whole other challenge, especially if you if you have friends, family, uh, people in these denominations, or that follow yeah. these leaders, or that are buying into this as well. It's not just a, a a battling of the front of 
of the LGBTQ lobby group, LGBTQ agenda being pushed, but it sees people on the other side that that are quote unquote allies that claim Christ, that claim to be Christians, that claim to be um, even many of them claim to believe the Bible as true and authoritative, yep. and yet they have found ways to to deny the the clear biblical truth on these issues and and just bow the knee and roll over, right? You know, and I think that's a sad state to see a a church or denomination in as a as a dog on its back, conceited, you know, giving over the uh, the dominance to to this sinful, wicked ideology. Uh, what I would rather see is the church standing firm on biblical truth, uh, taking hits, sure, uh, from the left, from the media, from the culture, but at the same time, um, sure, on the firm foundation that we have. Right. And and that's the thing. You know, we sing about uh, the song, How Firm a Foundation, uh, Ye Saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent word. Right. And we sing that song, but then oftentimes whenever whenever we are confronted by the enemy in some form or fashion, but especially in this area, uh, and we're painted as intolerant, as bigoted, as homophobic, whatever the case might be, um, it is it is oftentimes very difficult to trust in that foundation uh, when it seems that literally everything around us is saying, nope, right. don't, that's wrong. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, it makes me think of, you know, how we're called to speak the truth in love, but the requirement then is, to not let go of the truth or love. Um, and there is always a temptation in a Christian life to take the easy way out by only speaking the truth without love or any concern or willingness yeah. to help. Then there's the other temptation, which is to be quote unquote compassionate, yeah. meaning I will yield. I'll tell you you're right. And I don't tell you the truth. I'll just yeah. give you the help. Yeah. There, there is always going to be, no matter where, who you are, where you are hearing this today, you will have temptations today to either speak the truth without love or to love without speaking the truth, and neither is helpful. Yep. We are all tempted even based upon our, our build, the way we're made to do one or the other. Yep. Uh, and, and, and that is a part of discipleship is to learn to not let go of either one and and. It is a fundamentally necessary part of discipleship. If you read the Gospels, one of the most compelling things about Jesus, one of the reasons why he's unpredictable, one of the reasons why people get so angry at him so often mm -hmm. is that he is always telling the truth in love. Yeah. Um, and so it is, it is one of those skills that we have to keep developing. We will fail. We will fail. We will fail. But we have to keep getting up and saying, I'm sorry I failed, but this is the truth and this is what it is in love. And this is where we are. Yep, that's right. Yeah, both of those are easy exits, either to just say this is the truth, um, you know, get out of my way. It's going to mow you right over. Um, yeah, this this truth without love or love without the truth, right, to just embrace it and say, well, okay, you know, I've, for the sake of love, I'll accept that, whatever. Um, it actually, I think an interesting test, and, and it, you're right, everyone has their own little, their own leaning one way or another. And if you can, if you can become somewhat, Self, uh, self prognosticating is that the word I'm probably looking not. For? Probably not. Self aware. That sounds. Right? That's a big word. Self aware. Yeah, that's <laughs> that works. Um, I think I was. You know, I've been preaching through the Book of Acts lately. We have at our church, and one thing that uh, I was on the section where uh, the Apostle Paul and um, and Barnabas have a, a dispute over. Yeah, 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 yeah. One Mister John Mark. Right. Uh, the dispute is 
uh, Barnabas wants to bring John Mark on their second missionary journey. Uh, Paul does not. In fact, he is adamant that uh, that he should not go with them because on their previous journey, uh, he turned back. Even the text says that he abandoned them yep. uh, on their missionary journey, that he quit the work, right? And and Paul was looking at that, um, and I think in a way that was very practical, that was very matter-of-fact, um, he was sure, nope, this guy has proven himself to be unfaithful in this area, and absolutely not. I do not want him to come with us. I refuse. Uh, and I think you see sort of the... I don't know, hard-nosed bit about Paul coming out there. I think in that, we're not supposed to see one of these two men being right or being wrong. On the other hand, you have Barnabas, who says, look, this is this is my my friend. Actually, they were probably related, the text tells us, uh, either cousin or, or nephew and uncle. Um, and he says, look, I know him. I trust him. I think, yes, he failed last time, but I think he's able for the task. I think he's up for it, and I think we should show him grace, give him a second chance, uh, and let him come with us and bring him with us. I think he'd be useful, right? And in that, you see Barnabas's heart of love, of compassion, kindness, of right. of mercy, and those are good qualities. Right. Paul's qualities of saying, no, I, I care about what's right and, and what is true and these kinds of things, those are all good qualities too, right. yet neither one of them were willing to relent or see the other person's side. And I heard a pastor say on that, which I thought was true. He said, whoever you side with in that debate, that argument, probably says a lot more about you than it does about the text. Because yep. uh, I think it sort of exposes what your heart is mm-hmm. and where, which way you would lean right. one way or another, whether you would err on the side of love and grace or whether you would err on the side of, of truth um, and being firm, mm-hmm. you know, maybe overly so. Sure. Uh, so I don't know. That's a neat little test. Maybe you could... Um, run on yourself if you are listening to this and would like to know where you fall, but you probably already know, I think. You might, yes, and but uh, I actually, no, I agree. I think plenty of people won't. It's very hard. I mean, um, unless you have multiple close Christian relationships with people who will tell you the truth, the honest truth about yourself, and unless you've met the, a certain breadth of people, I mean, these, these sorts of um, temperaments tend to run through families, they tend to congregate and gather to each other. Uh, it's it's not a joke that birds of a feather flock together. Uh, it is also true that opposites attract, um, and so these things have to be integrated somehow. But that's the challenge of all this. Self knowledge is not easy to come by. If it were, um, everybody that we know would be so much easier to get along with. Yep, <laughs> but meanwhile, right. it, it, the world is the way that it is, and we each are the way that we are. Yeah. And so, you know, this issue is challenging. It will continue to be challenging. Um, but what you said earlier is so true. What would benefit the world the most is a clear witness from the church mm-hmm. and unity, which Jesus emphasizes strongly uh, in the Gospel of John in particular. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the world will know you by your love for one another. I, I, I pray that you may be one. The sign that you've been with Jesus, he prays, he says, God, make them one. Because in our broken, sinful world, where sin is internalized in all of our individualized human hearts, the sign of the brokenness of the world is we cannot manage to get along. Sustainable relationships are not possible. But meanwhile, what does the scripture say? Jesus did not invent marriage and then go, boy, if only there was a nice thing for me to compare that to. In fact, God Almighty says, the reason I invented marriage is to show you that there's a relationship between Christ and the church Mm -hmm. that endures, that cannot be broken. And so that you see how important that is, I want you to have this thing called marriage where a sinful human being 
attaches themselves, has a covenant with another sinful human being that then, sickness and health, till death do we part, yeah. that that relationship won't be broken. Um, so we have all that going on there. And, and those are the times that we live. So I do pray as we're talking about this for a stronger unified witness from the church in these challenging times. I know we're not having it right now. We're living through uh, the kind of end of the break of Methodism right now as we record this in early 2024. Um, and yeah. one, you know, the United Methodists are going one direction and what is the global Methodist, this new group is going the other direction. And then meanwhile, many churches in this town and around the country and around the world have chosen to become independent churches. Yeah. Um, well, we connections are changing mm-hmm. in the church, and what I pray and hope uh, comes out of it is unity among those who are following Christ. Um, yeah. That is Amen. fundamentally necessary. Amen. Number three, screens are disciplers. What does that mean, Denton? <laughs> well, I don't think any of us are ignorant to the reality of, of the role that screens play in our lives. Uh, screens have become our educators. Screens have become our entertainers. Screens have become um, our time wasters. Screens have become our friends that we take to the bathroom with us. <laughs> oh man, don't we don't we know it? Um, I mean, I'm guilty. You know, I squat and surf. Um, all these things. Screens have sort of be, they they have have become all these things, and it's it's true to say that uh, screens have become um, disciplers to mm-hmm. to everyone, but but even to believers. And when I first read that, my, my immediate thought was, um, he means uh, that screens have become people's means of getting doctrine, uh, their means of, of uh, hearing good teaching uh, or reading good uh, you know, articles. Yeah, theology, disciple like is that. a very Christian word. Yes, uh, but I, and I, I think that does happen some. He acknowledges that. I mean, it's not that no good comes from screens or the internet or anything like that, but by and large, uh, what comes from screens and the kind of discipling that's happening is not a discipleship in biblical Christianity. It's right. a discipleship in idolatry. It's discipleship uh, in time wasting. It's discipleship in all kinds of things that uh, that frankly just are, <laughs> I think to a large degree, um, very much hampering human thriving yep. and, and human fruitfulness. Yep. Yeah, and, and and anyone hearing this, um, I have yet to meet someone who would honestly look me in the eyes and say, no, I've never wasted time unintentionally because of my phone, iPad, computer. I mean, they, they are conduits for frivolous activities for all of us. Yeah. I remember I've told this story, I believe even on the podcast before, but um, I had a very intelligent church history professor in Bible college. And he said, he said, guys, you used to not have to be that when the TV was on, I had to be careful because I, I'd just stop. And then an hour had passed. He said, but he said, I'm walking through my living room and all of a sudden, History Channel's on. Oh, D-Day. And then two hours later, here I am, you know. And I sat there and I remember I thought, my goodness, if this very educated, very disciplined, solid Christian man is vulnerable to this, 
myself and everybody I know ought to watch out. And look, we all can admit that screens have the capacity to get a hold of us and keep us much longer than we plan to be there. Um, this is even, you can put an exclamation point on this concern when you read into ideas like the medium is the message. Uh, it's a very strange kind of uh, little phrase, but what it means basically is something, again, we can all agree with. If you're watching five-second TikTok videos for hours at a time, you are being trained mm -hmm. on certain facts. One, anything important can be said in five seconds. Two, interesting things happen over the course of five seconds. Things that ma really matter happen in five seconds. You should be emotionally completely tuned in, move through some emotional experience, and then be moving on within five seconds. It trains you. And that's what he, exactly why he uses this word screens or disciplers, because they are discipling you into content and into habits. And that should concern everyone hearing this because none of us are exempt. The other thing that you can say about this when you say none of us are exempt is that obviously we often hear about these things first where you go, parents, watch out for your kids. Watch out for your kids. Certainly true. Mm -hmm. And there is a kind of screen addiction that can happen to children. We all also know people who are 50, 60, 70, 80, struggle with self-control, struggle mightily yep. with self-control dealing with these issues right. because there is not the fullness of life in this stuff. This is minors and it teaches us to major on the minors Yep. and nobody's ever had to deal with exactly this, which is we're, we hear things like, well, we're, we, isn't it great to be connected to one another? Not really when what's happening is un, unwillingly, unwittingly other people have created hours and hours of content that these algorithms will now feed to you one after another to keep you there as long as possible for their own profit. Mm -hmm. That's done not happen in human history before. And I would love to tell you that the research that I've done about this, well, the quote unquote, the good news is humans are able to have self-control after a certain amount of time. No, there are no safe. We don't have built in safeguards at a certain point that go, Hey, is this getting less interesting the further down you go? Don't you think you've done this enough? Unfortunately, um, we are not creatures that often, uh, well, let's just say this. We're not creatures that do temperance well most of the time. Right. We don't know the right length to take things. And we don't, um, sometimes the only signs that we should slow down, stop, get away are the other people in our lives that care about us. And then we have all these excuses we're ready to throw at them. Yep. And it and even though time wasting, I think is probably right up there, um, lobbying for number one as far as the the issues with screens. It also is the case that not only is it about time wasting, but it's also an issue of human development. That human development now is happening rather than primarily via other humans yep. and in community yep. and and in connection with other human beings. Yep, uh, it's happening through screens. Yep, which is always it, it's in a sense it's become a way of sort of short-circuiting the human experiment where, like you said, social medias, uh, YouTube, all these different things, these are all sort of sort of uh, orchestrated by algorithms that are feeding you the things they think you want to see, the things they think you want to hear. So sure, certainly the, there's risk of an echo chamber uh, is in play. Uh, but but there is a there is a sort of curating of, of content, whatever the case, whether it be... Um, at any rate, there's a sort of curating of the content 
wherever you're at on the internet that isn't happening in real life when you're around other people. Um, in a certain degree, this also sort of stems out of the same argument for expositional preaching on a Sunday morning. Whereas I think it's a, it's a good and right way to preach. Uh, it's not the only way, but if you're going to ask me what's the best way to preach, I'm going to tell you this way, uh, is to preach through the Bible. So preach, you don't have to start necessarily with Genesis, although that's a great place to start, but you pick a, a book of the Bible and you preach starting at verse 1, chapter 1, until you finish that book. Uh, preach through it. The reason why that's good is because there is no curation of the content at that point, at least as far as in the book that you're preaching. Uh, you are going to preach whatever comes next in the book because that's what comes next in the right. book. And and rather than tearing things out of their context, rather than choosing what to preach on, what not to preach on in this book, it sort of forces you to preach the whole whole breadth of the of the Word of God. And and I would encourage don't regularly preach the same books over and over again. Right, you know, right, right, right. right. Uh, pre- preach uh, books in the New Testament, the Old Testament, epistles, uh, poetry books. Uh, all of it's difficult. Yes, e- expositional preaching is more is more difficult in a sense because. Well, guess what? I'm not the best poetry preacher. Um, I preach better when I'm preaching a narrative or maybe when I'm uh, preaching um, teaching, you know, in in one of the epistles or something like that. But it is good for me and it's good for my congregation to hear uh, all of the the Word of God preached, all of the Word of God uh, exposited. And so um, in a similar way, when you are dedicating your time your development as a human being, um, when you're when you're getting that, when you're limiting that to what you're getting online, um, then you're not getting really a a healthy amount of all the things that you need for human development. Yeah. Even just even just talking about like content wise, yep. not to mention physical activity, not to mention um, you know emotional bonding and these kinds of things, um, intimacy with other people, all of that kind of stuff is also just impossible to really. Uh, to really do online, but, um, yeah. Right. It's, um, this issue is another one. I mean, he, uh, reminisces a little bit about, uh, it brought in it, when he's a kid, you know, and there's a single TV in the house and that wears warnings, you know, be careful, you know, you could get too addicted. There's a, uh, being Baptist is funny. You know, I know it's a term that ran around Baptist circles. Watch out for that demon in the box. Uh, and, you know, look, TV uh, has, now we can all admit that screens have their uh, problems. Yeah. Um, and if it takes you too long to come around to that, uh, I worry for you. But we're so far down this path and we have so many screens that we're about to move to the next level when we're still arguing about some of the basics of this level we're about and by the next level i mean augmented reality which is going to bring a whole host of new issues um but as if 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 this is a new term the the apple uh vision the glasses that uh they're they are affordable for some people and you can just since they have a commercial version that is right now uh being released you can just know over the next few years you're going to have this first version and then the next version, which will then enable this usual thing where you have people who are looking to come in and spend a lot of money to get the newest version, which enables some people to come right after that and get the next version. And this new challenges when, when you can look out at the world and it's going to present to you a different set of information based on what you're seeing and how the integration with the glasses uh, gives you and, and overlapping 
it, it's just another deeper level that we're about to move into. Um, but I, I, I don't, in all of these things, we are emphasizing these as challenges because I think that there has been a temptation sometimes to say, oh, it's not that big a deal. We are here saying, one, it is a real challenge. But two, with the power of Christ, these things can all be faced and we can receive the wisdom that we need and we can care for each other and sort this out. And so in this issue, we have to look it in the face and see it for what it is. Uh, Dr. DeWork says uh, like this, quote, no one foresaw that these ubiquitous screens could simultaneously bring information and inanity. I had to look up that word. That means emptiness. Um, (laughs) Delight and danger, gospel preaching and graphic pornography. No one knew that the self-image and mental health of teens would be shaped and threatened by the things they saw on those screens true and he goes on just another paragraph down he says quote screens on computers ipads cell phones and tvs are relentlessly streaming values opinions worldviews and images into the minds of believers and unbelievers alike at an informational rate many times over anything in the past parents are giving their children easy access to the internet and consequently giving everything on the internet easy access to their children Mm-hmm. And parents are being manipulated and molded by those same forces as much as their children, end quote. That's true. It's mm-hmm. true. And, and if you're asking yourself, okay, am I, am I intaking too much screen time? This is a way for you to gauge that. If you're an adult, if you're mature enough to look at this yourself, ask yourself, have I considered how it is relentlessly streaming values and opinions and worldviews and images into my mind? Do I reflect on that at all? Am I aware of what I am drinking in? We are all living through a time when we have to think about what we eat mm-hmm. and how it is affecting us. We also have to think about what we take in to our hearts and our minds and what it does to our affections um, because none of it is without effect. None of it is. It is all affecting us. But the good news again is whatever has been done to us and whatever we have done to ourselves, we have hope in the Holy Spirit that the the entire job of the Holy Spirit is to apply the work of Christ to our damaged, brutalized hearts and to bring new life. And it's there. That's right. So don't lose heart about all this stuff. Sometimes this can be presented as if, well, as I, you know, I'm ruined because of pornography. No, you're not. You're not. You might be damaged. Sin is damage. I mean, that's what it is. Sin is spiritual damage, and we're so crazy, we do it to ourselves as well as other sin against us. But, praise God, there is healing Mm. for sin, whether done by us to ourselves, by us to others. Good news, because we need it in regard to all these issues. These are challenging issues, um, but they are not without the balm, right? I mean, look, that's yeah. a, this is an Old Testament term, and I'll throw I'll throw out every random Old Testament because we're if I can know every cultural reference we use in America, is there a balm in Gilead? There certainly is. I mean, goodness gracious, this is exciting stuff. Yep. <laughs> well, that brings us to uh, to number four, uh, which wasn't really any surprise that he would list this as an unforeseen ministry challenge, but that being a global pandemic. Um, did you see the pandemic coming, Jackson? Did you foresee that as a ministry challenge? <laughs> no. No, me neither. I did not. Uh, but indeed, it, man, it was a ministry challenge. Um, I don't think even with all of Dr. York's ministry experience, uh, he was all that much more prepared for how to handle uh, what we went through starting in 2020 um, any more than I was. Now, he probably was more equipped. But even still, uh, I think it presented certain challenges that 
boy, oh boy, even as I look back over the time during the pandemic, I even look back on it almost like what even happened? Yep. It almost seems surreal Mm -hmm. here in, in 2024, looking back over the past four years, that there was a time whenever literally the government was saying, hey, stop going places, stop doing things, stop meeting together, all of this stuff. And as churches, church leaders, uh, we were in a position to say, how are we going to handle this? How are we going to respond? And it was difficult. Yep. It was really difficult. And yep. yeah, anyone who has um, not looked over sort of a timeline of, of um, COVID restrictions, COVID lockdowns, th- these sort of things, it is just really useful for um, for thinking through how we deal with um, challenging issues. Just for instance, as I was looking over one, two weeks to stop the spread. <laughs> that there was a time where it said, okay, just two weeks, we're going to stop doing things. And, and, then, and then it got lengthened. And, and uh, this was an intense time that I remember the first um, moment that I had a hint that something really serious was about to happen when I was on uh, YouTube one day. And there was a sharing of a, a sound file of a Chinese woman who they had just locked down this section of China and she was crying and, and talking about how they wouldn't let her and her family go anywhere that her, people in her family had died. They won't let them move the bodies out. And just that mm-hmm. I kind of, and, and reading enough to see, okay, so this could spread it. It is spreading and they're not going to be able to keep it from spreading. And that within a few weeks we moved into, uh, the serious measures that were taken and uh, all of the complexities that have unfolded uh, over these last few years. Yeah. Yeah. I think back on, on um, the pandemic and here, here's what he, he says about it, which I, I agree. He says, I thought the biggest problems of a pandemic would be health issues, but for me, at least the leadership challenges were far more challenging than the three times I contracted COVID. Yeah. And you know, Dr. York is not a young guy. He's retired now. Right. Uh, and even he would say, yeah, as difficult as and not fun as it was to get COVID three times, the, the leadership challenges were far worse. Um, because even though there were, there was no one on earth who just had a firm idea of this is exactly the way that things should be done going forward. It's clear. It's easy. Uh, there were some people that thought they did, but, but there really was no clear answers as to how exactly to handle this because it was unprecedented for our time unprecedented um that makes it really difficult as as a church leader because you have nothing to draw on you don't have well what did we do in the pandemic five years ago when that one hit nope there's none of that to draw on there's no previous experience um and frankly there's there's uh not a lot of direct commands in the scripture that lend themselves to how to deal with a pandemic right uh, there's wisdom involved. There's, uh, there's certainly the Bible informs us on how we are to, uh, to act and behave and conduct ourselves as individuals and as a church throughout all arenas and times of, of life. But uh, at the same time, there was so much up in the air. There also seemed to be an increasing lacking of, of uh, patience and mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. And these kinds of things, which yeah. which obviously just only serves to exacerbate the difficulties and the problems. Uh, and a lot of that, I would say, came from and then continued to get worse because of 
our interactions with one another increasingly going online. Yeah. So while, while we're coming up to this pandemic, people are already becoming more and more and more um, living their lives online and behind a screen. And then when you do that and a pandemic hits and you're told, hey, everyone needs to try and stay home. And if you're going to interact with one another, it needs to be through a screen. Well, we, one thing we know about screens and social media is that it becomes a, a means of saying whatever you want to say behind a sort of sense of anonymity. Mm-hmm. That is, people, when they weren't interacting with one another on a face-to-face, um, on a, on a face-to-face platform, would say things that they would never have said to other people yep. if they were looking at them face-to-face. And this remains the case with social media and one of the major problems with it. Um, and so at the same time, you have churches, church leaders trying to figure out what to do. You have people becoming increasingly, and I would say pastors as well. I know plenty of them that that became increasingly less gracious and understanding towards other people. And that made makes for really difficult times uh, in the church and outside of the church. It does. Um, one thing that I thought about as, as we really were in the middle of uh, restrictions on the pandemic is what it's, some of the trends that we were seeing, like uh, working with young people as I did, um, you see like kids are more into screens. Um, you see things like, um, I mean, things that I just found really strange, honestly, about, you know, kids are more likely to want to text each other than to just get together and do something. Kids weren't getting driver's licenses before the pandemic because they were just as happy to play games online or chat through text uh, rather than be physically together. Um, and then on the other hand, kids like to be at their house. Like they're, they're sort of positive slants you can throw on some of this about, hey, you know, many of us don't know what it would have been like to be a teenager and to have a cell phone that offers you FaceTime and all of these means by which you have an opportunity to chat with any friend, who, no matter where they are. It, it is, in some way of thinking, limiting to go to one friend's house and to be with them physically. I do, I do, I will stand on and say it's better to go ahead and choose that friend and to be there with them, mm-hmm. but this is some of the things that we're living through right now. And, and one of the things that I thought about that is I saw it sort of enhance a lot of things that were already happening is it's, it's in some ways like what we experienced, say just you, if you want to limit it from 2020 through 2022, I think in those three years, we had something like 10, 12 years of uh, what typically it takes to enhance habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I mean by that is if we were accustomed to um, connecting with people through FaceTime or as we all saw, you everybody learned how to Zoom, yeah. right? Uh, well, yeah, that was forced. And that accelerated trends that were already in place. And plenty of companies made money off the fact that it's accelerated trends, including Zoom. Um, But, you know, Amazon, I'm sure, uh, made a lot more money because of their business model. A lot of small businesses died because their business model does not operate in such a way as you can just shut down for three years. Um, and, And so it did accelerate some of these trends. And I think that's a useful way to think about it because here we are on the other end of this strange time warp. Uh, some things have, have fundamentally changed. And, he, yeah. and Dr. York speaks to this, that there are people who still will speak in a way as to say, well, let's just go back to the way things were. Look, that's not useful to think that way. It's not going to happen. Um, it took too long. COVID is going to be here. The experiences that we had were real. And frankly, some of the things 
that happened are irrevocable. Mm -hmm. You can't just decide and say, no, all those small businesses, I just want them to be there again. Well, they're, they're not going to be. Yeah. The world doesn't work in that way. Um, and so here we are on the other end of this. And God is not caught off guard that all this happened as much as all of us are. It's very disarming when you and everybody you know is caught off guard. But at the same time, God is not. And so this is underneath the sovereignty of God. And so then you have prayers to go, well, okay, God, what are you doing through this? Mm -hmm. And some of this internet acceleration that has caused um, division has also led to the church being able then to say, okay, we've tried now. Everything, we've put everything we have into streams. And I frankly see a lot of churches going, streaming's not it. Streaming's fine. It's a thing that we do. It's not church. It is something that is good for homebound people. Mm -hmm. It's something that enables other people to watch maybe what we're doing. But that's what it is. It's yep. good for homebound people and it enables people to watch. It's not church gathering. Yeah. And this is sort of related to what we're talking about earlier. That's a very helpful clarifying point. It's not the church gathering. It doesn't give the life. It, you, you want to be known and loved and to be loved and known. And if you are anonymous online, you are neither loved nor known. That's right. Not good enough. It's not going to satisfy you. You will walk away empty. And so we can look somewhere else for life. Um, these tools can do what they can do. But on the whole, they are some substitute for life. They are not life-giving. Yep. That's right. And... I hated preaching to a camera. That was awful. <laughs> oh, yes. That yes, 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 yes. You think it's tough preaching to people that are like tired and, and about to fall asleep? That's not like, uh, you know, a, a walk in the park. But it's I would take that over a camera in my face any day. Mm -hmm. That was the worst. Yeah, I, w I want now. I want to be on the other side of a camera where you're trying to tell jokes to that camera, but you can't see my face or anybody <laughs> else's face. I would not like that. I think that'd be yeah. fun. I would not like that. That sounds <laughs> awful. Why would we do that? I don't want to do that. All right. Number five, the vitriol of divisions among Christians. Uh, this is grievous. I mean, look, this is, uh, I think this is a different category than any of these other four that we have spoken to, because I think this is one. Thank you, Dr. York, for being honest. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to write an article, and this is not a typical ministry article. A typical ministry article you write is, look, I'm great at organization. Here's five strategies for how to organize. This is him saying, all right, I have just retired. Let me tell you five things that didn't do that great, didn't see coming. Look back on and go, boy, wish I would have known more about what to do with those things, but that for the encouragement and benefit of all of us all of us who are still in ministry he writes this to say look you're gonna have to face these things and you can so this this last one uh, what does he mean by the vitriol of divisions among christians he means exactly what it sounds like <laughs> yeah, that, unfortunately that, that among christians uh, there has been a, a trend over the past several years I, i'm gonna say it's over the past several years i think probably some of these things have been happening among believers for a long time i mean you can you can go back and and read about disputes that Christians had with one another uh, in church history. But um, I think, at least for our day and age, we probably haven't seen anything like it up to the past, you know, five to ten years. Uh, the level—I I mean, it, I would almost even say the past five years—of the level of 
uh, I mean, I want to say vitriol, but that's what he says. But some synonym with vitriol that believers have had with one another over all kinds of things. And literally to the point that books have been written over these various non-gospel, when I say non-gospel, in that you can take one side of the argument or another and not have compromised the gospel. Um, they take one side or another, and, and whole books have been written, and then books in response to those books, and yeah. articles in response to those books, and articles in response to those articles. It, to the point that you've even seen like high-profile Christians, pastors, theologians, um, part ways. And and where there was a partnership there, there no longer is now because of because of a lot of these issues. And that's not to downplay the importance of some of these issues. There are plenty of them that are important to discuss, yeah. important to talk about, um, and do have implications for how we will live and how we will conduct ourselves. And yet, there are issues that should be able to be talked about within the church without two people having to go to different ways, without having to break fellowship in the church. And that's... That's, I think, where you see the, the worst of it. When some of these issues, which, uh, which are tangentially related to the gospel at best, becoming issues upon which even churches split yeah. or people leave churches, and that's that's one of the saddest things. Yeah, and it's, um, I mean, other words that I would use back in when I was a kid, I would just called it mean. They're just uh, mean, but I can say now that the concern is that there's no cause to be uncharitable towards a brother. There is no yeah. cause to uh, take low blows. Mm-hmm. Um, you can disagree, but you don't have to then uh, go down to such a level as you get so coarse. And so, I mean, cruelty is not outside of the bounds of what we've seen some Christian leaders uh, come to. And whether that is, sometimes, this is what's so difficult at the time that we live sometimes. These people have personal relationships with each other. We're sometimes from a distance seeing this happen. Mm-hmm. And we don't know if it's because this person is so hurt that they then are responding uh, sinfully. Or if they are so angry that they just are trying then to convince other people they were right. Um, or any mixture. Uh, and And... Sometimes what you just have to do, in my opinion, you just have to go, look, I don't know what's going on with those people, but I don't agree with speaking about each other in that way. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's helpful. I don't think it, uh, I don't think it benefits the church. I don't think it is. Well, I'll say it like this. I believe that we will all stand before the Lord and answer for everything we've done in word and deed. And I, I specifically in this instance, I have flashes of flashes of Jesus gathering these two people in the same room himself and going, all right, three of us are going to talk. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say this too. I think the last three points in his article here, so three, four, and five, uh, that is um, the, the screens becoming disciplers, the global pandemic and vitriol, a division among Christians I think all three of these are very interconnected. Mm-hmm. I think when when you have uh, something like a global pandemic uh, isolating people to their homes, and then you have something like the internet saying, here's the world at your fingertips, and, and having just unfettered and unlimited access and encouraged access to all of these things and nothing but time as you're sitting home alone, I think it, it is inevitable that it will result in... Uh, already fractured, broken, weak relationships because you're not with one another that are only going to get worse whenever these other things are added in. Uh, and you have, this is the most common place I saw it is on social media. 
when people would just rip into one another, literally church members, people who who are brothers and sisters in Christ, rip into one another over over some issue, related, whether it's related to the pandemic and how certain things should be done in response to the pandemic, whether it's related to uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, whether it's related to a whole host of issues that have come up in the past few years. It's sort of a combination that was inevitable to result in in what we've seen among Christians and believers, and and I think that's really sad. But I'll say this. I think there is hope, and I think the first thing that needs to happen um, is that when this is identified, whether by you if you're involved or if you're a pastor, church leader, or even a church member, and you see some of this vitriol among, among Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, first of all, it's almost always one of two things. Either it's happening between them online or behind each other's backs, talking to other people. Yep. Um, you need to immediately say, we're going to stop this. Yep. We're not going to talk about it online. We're not going to talk about it behind each other's backs, and we're going to get together. We're going to talk about it in person. Yep. And I'll just give you one example, um, and this isn't to, to toot our horn at our church, but there was an occasion um, during the whole—there was the, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, and there was the pandemic, and there was these things that, that brought up all kinds of issues. Again, none of them directly related to the gospel or, or none of them representing a compromise on the gospel, but— but some people at the church, I saw some things online where there was there was vitriol and there was things that maybe shouldn't have been said or they shouldn't have been said in that way. And I I said, hey, we're going to shut this down. We're not going to be doing this. But I think these issues are important. We're going to get together and we're going to talk about them at the church. And so we said, hey, anyone who would like to come and engage in this discussion, how do we as Christians think about these cultural issues? Mm-hmm. We're going to meet. We're going to talk about it. And we did. And guess what? Pretty much everyone who already had opinion in one way or another left with that same opinion, basically. But what they left with as well was a higher opinion of the person that they were talking to and that disagreed with them. And it was, everyone that was involved said, I'm really glad we did this. This was really helpful. Even if no one's mind was changed about the issue, um, a proper perspective on a brother or sister in Christ was, was maintained and was regained. And it doesn't always end that perfect. I don't want to say you get everyone together in a room and it'll just be, you know, cakes and rainbows. But I will say that it certainly will not be improved if you allow it to be done behind each other's backs or in an online setting. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be good. Yeah. I heard a guy uh, said the other day, you reminded me of this. um, How does it feel to be wrong? And somebody said, oh, it feels terrible. He goes, no. Feels great. In fact, feels just the same as being right. You're saying everything you think, and until somebody corrects you, you're just feeling great. Because how does it feel to be right? Well, it feels wonderful. And one of the strange things about being human is we walk around most of the time feeling like we're right about pretty much everything we're talking about, right? Um, that expanded is what you're talking about in regard to what we've gone through in terms of... Um, disputed matters of late right what i can't believe this person who i know might disagree with me yeah. and then you have the, in this very quick moment a decision to make about how you're going to speak and address that and lo and behold sitting in your study or on your couch with a 
iced tea in your at your left and then just being there with your your type uh with your keyboard in front of you lo and behold that may not be uh the best situation to be in to attain to truth and goodness and beauty right. <laughs> uh, in fact it may just tempt you to off offer the most oversimplified statement or solution. Yeah. Uh, but then meanwhile, when you're sitting looking at a real life human being across the table from you that you may or may not care about, well, all of a sudden these issues uh, become a little bit more complicated. And at the very least, we can slow down a little bit. Yeah. And, um, and that is, I think, what we're certainly advocating for on this. Slow down and be a little bit more reflective yeah. uh, rather than bad-mouthing a brother or a sister online in a situation to where you can't take a lot of that back. Right. Right. Um, what he says here, he says, quote, social media provides a public platform for everyone and Christian charity is often the first casualty when an indignant believer feels justified in publicly correcting or calling out someone. The more outrageously the outrage is expressed, the more hits or views it generates. I confess that I did not anticipate this degree of animosity among believers, particularly between well-known Leaders, and I know since I know the circles that he has walked in. Um, for instance, you know, I have been to the Together for the Gospel conference, mm-hmm. and that conference is not happening anymore in part because of this very issue. Um, uh, as far as lack of Christian charity, mm-hmm. uh, in some ways, these all these conferences have a, a life where they will, yeah. they will rise and they will fall, but this issue has contributed to uh, this, this issue of vitriol. This issue of lack of charity has contributed to the destruction of many relationships, and you and I could sit here, and you, we don't have to name um, Christians who say preach at conventions. This we can most of us name Christians who have had broken relationships over the last five years yeah. because of uh, this issue in particular, um, and. and and look, once again, we serve a Savior who has died so that our relationships can be made right with one another. Mm-hmm. We serve a Savior who says, when you gather and you take of my body and, and you drink my blood, that is because I died so that you could be unified with God and with each other. And if you if you feel that you are not unified with someone there, you go ahead and take care of that before you take yep. of, of the body. And if we don't take that seriously, that's to our own shame. That's right. I don't care what background uh, you have in terms of your denominational background. Uh, if, if your Christian walk has not led you to understand that, you need to understand that um, because otherwise you are literally eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of, of the Lord's Supper. Yeah, that's right. I think it would be good to conclude with uh, his concluding thoughts, if you don't mind if I read them. These, this is his uh, last thing that he says here. He says, <clears throat> I've frequently been disappointed by people even more so in myself, but Jesus has never let me down. Through all the sadness, confusion, disappointment, misinformation, and animosity around me, I still know that the gospel is the deepest need to the greatest problem in the world. I'm more determined than ever to believe it, preach it, tell it, trust it, and live it than ever before, no matter what comes next. Yeah, Those are good words from Dr. York, and I think... As we consider all of these challenges to ministry, and if we think about them, they're really challenges to Christians in this world that we live in in general. Um, we can take some courage, have some comfort in that. The gospel is the answer uh, to all of the, the issues in the world. Well, uh, namely, the one biggest issue that the world has. 
uh, and that is that the world is corrupted by sin. So, right, and and we are then a, a body being built up by Jesus, and uh, as we then walk with Him, we learn our gifts and we serve in our giftedness. We will see His work go forward. And, and the, the scriptures say that the gates of hell will not stand against the offensive force of the church as we become who he has called us to be. And so um, that's where we want to be. I don't know what the next five years of challenges look like. I don't believe we will have mastered these five challenges by then. But in the Lord's strength, we'll keep walking. Every time we fall down, we'll keep getting back up. And in his strength, we'll keep going. Amen. This has been Empires of the Future. And we'll see you in the future. <laughs>